You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Well, today we're going to be in part three and the conclusion of what's, I think, been pretty powerful and applicable last few weeks in a series called Why Worry? Why Worry? Why Worry? Why Worry? Uh, the reality is we kind of looked at the truth, and the whole reason we got a series um, to talk about this for three weeks is because none of us have control over the future. Like, we don't, okay? The one thing that we all got in common, we're a lot of different random people, a lot of brand new uh, things happen in our lives, all that kind of stuff, but the one thing we all have in common, apart from Jesus loves us, is that we've got zero control over the future. And so we decided it'd be really good to look at what Jesus had to say about worry. Now, remember, if you missed the first two weeks, this is important. When Jesus says, hey, don't worry, why would you worry, don't do that, um, what he's not saying is, he's not saying, I don't care. Um, He's not saying don't be responsible. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying, hey, you actually have zero control over tomorrow, which has actually always been true. Like you've never had control over the next moment of your life. So he said, so why would you spend your life worrying about it? He says, "You, you can live with the uncertainty of tomorrow and not worry about it today. Like he's that good that we can trust him in that. Now, I wanna talk to a few of you because you've been listening maybe the last few weeks or you're gonna hear today. And some of you, like you are, you're professional worriers. Like you're really, really good at it. And if you wanna know if you're good at it, you can ask your spouse or your best friend, your coworkers, and they'll be like, yep, mm mm-hmm. All right, you've taken years off of my life because of how much you've worried. but some of you, like if you're a hyper-focused worrier um, and you just like have mastered that art, then congratulations and stop it, okay? Um, but if you, maybe you've worried more over the last season, because let's be real, the last year has been crazy uncertain in our lives, um, then, then here's where your tension might be. Watch this. Your tension with what I've said the last few weeks and what I've said that Jesus has said is you probably be like, well, preacher, like that's, that's kind of simplistic. Um, in fact, like, it's even a little passive. Like it sounds like you're, like you don't care, like it's a... I'm not going to take that mindset. And maybe for you, you're kind of thinking because you're like, again, you're on top of things. You're really responsible. And you go, I just kind of feel a little more responsible when I worry. All right. Just um, like, because when I worry or when I really think about it and I worry, then it helps, then I, then it helps me worry. Okay. Cause I worry. And then I wrap my mind in it. And so like, I'm actually never really focused one spot. Cause when I go to work, like I'm only thinking about all the things that I need to worry about at home. And so I don't really do good work. Um, and then when I'm at work, like I can't, uh, or, you know, when I'm at home, I can't think about the things that are going on at home and I don't really give myself to my family, but I've got all these other things that like, I got to think about those things. And so those things are really important and that helps me be more responsible. So listen, like just, my thought, my mind, all that, I'm going to wrap it up in worry. Now, I can't control anything, but I'm, I'm still going to do that because I need to worry because I'm more responsible when I worry. You follow me? Okay. And if you really stopped and listened to that, like you would sound, realize how crazy that sounds, how, how ludicrous that sounds. And so Jesus kind of comes along in Matthew 6, his, one of his famous sermons, and he just basically says, knock it off. Like, like stop. Like you don't have to keep living that way. In fact, you have a heavenly father who controls tomorrow of which you have no control over. So why would you not just trust him with tomorrow? And, and, and that kind of sets the table for where we're going to go today. Um, we're going to Old Testament today. So first Kings chapter 19, if you have a hard copy or digital copy of scripture, first Kings 19 is going to be sorted towards the beginning third or so of your Bible. And if you don't have a hard copy or digital copy of scripture, then uh, as always, we'll put verses on the screen here in the room in our overflow spaces and also as a part of our online gathering. So today we're going to wrap up this uh, series for the story from the Old Testament. It's found in the book of first Kings, uh, which is a book about 
kings. Good. Okay. Thank you. Um, and so today it's going to be about a king. We'll read about his name in just a second. There's actually two books of kings. If you follow that in the Old Testament, because there were so many of them, they were like, hey, you'll get bored reading one. And so they split it into two. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story today. I'm going to kind of leave you hanging a little bit. I'm going to tell you a big story, but not all of it, because I'd love for you to go home and read it, like read the rest of it in first Kings. And who knows what happens? Maybe you'll start reading your Bible. And that'd be really awesome because the Bible's good. Um, in 1 Kings, we're going to find the story of a guy who had a whole lot to worry about. Like his, his life was stressful. You think yours is stressful? Check out this guy. But at the end of this, there's going to be a question that God's going to ask this guy. And he's not just asking this guy in scripture, but it's actually going to apply to all of our lives. And so get ready for that. You're going to want to write that down here in just a little bit. But I want to give you, this is going to be a long introduction. Stay with me. But there's a lot of story to set up where we're going to land in 1 Kings 19. So if you haven't turned there yet, you've got a while to get there. Um, let me kind of set things up. Now, when uh, the nation of Israel became a kingdom, the first first king over Israel was a guy named King Saul. Everybody heard of him before? Just say yes, cool. Uh, and then following him was perhaps the most famous king. He took down the Goliath uh, one time with a slingshot. Remember his name? King David. Good. And then after David was his son, King Solomon. Now after Solomon, the kingdom split into the northern kingdom and into the southern kingdom. Now the northern kingdom was called the northern kingdom because it was in the north. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the southern kingdom was in the southern kingdom because it was in the South. You guys are better than 930. That's all I'm saying, okay? The northern kingdom, it was referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom was referred to as Judah. And so our story today is going to happen around 860 BC. Um, kingdoms already split. And then the king of the northern kingdom is now a guy named Ahab. Maybe you've heard of him before. Ahab was not a great dude, okay? In fact, he was like a really, really wicked king, not a good guy, should not have voted for him. But Ahab is in office, and then he's leading people away from the things of God, away from the law of God. They're worshiping Baal. They're worshiping idols. He's not leading them to be more like Jesus. And so God decides to get his attention, and so God sends his voice, his message through a person to King Ahab. And we're going to talk about that guy in a second, but I want to pause for a moment and, and kind of dwell on this. Um, Chances are what God did to Ahab, how he sent this message through a person he's probably done to you or uh, maybe even in my life as well. Like maybe when you were a teenager, it was kind of like your parents or maybe a grandparent or maybe even recently in your life as a young adult, married couple, like you've had somebody sit down with you and go like, hey, I love you a lot. But like if you keep living the way you're living, you're going to end up financially upside down. Or somebody looks at you and says like, why? Can you help me understand why, why do you talk to your spouse the way that you do? Like, why do, you, why do you address them that way? Or, you know, why, why have you neglected that relationship with your parents? Or do you always talk to your mom that way, students? Like, why? You see, every once in a while, God will send that voice into our life. And I believe he, he can do that through someone else. And he can use his spirit to speak that into our life. And so that's kind of what happens with King Ahab. And how, what, what, what's our response typically, right? When somebody does that and somebody sits us down, we have that conversation, it's grandma or, you know, somebody loves us, what do we say? We're like, oh, cool, well, thank you. Like, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to change all of that. And no, no, we're like, dude, get out of my face, okay? Like, I, I've got this. I'm okay. I'm smart. I can handle it. And really, that's what happens with Ahab. God sends a guy named Elijah into King Ahab's life. Now, Elijah's a prophet, and Elijah comes to King Ahab and kind of hears his message. In summary, is he goes, hey, Ahab, God's sick of your ruling. Like, he's sick of how you're leading his people away from his plans, away from his purposes. And so God's about to get your attention in a way that you could, could uh, not probably have predicted. And he's actually going to stop the rain. It's not going to rain for a long time. He's going to wreck the economy, but he's going to do it to get your attention. And then Elijah leaves. 
And Ahab's kind of like us, and we're the teenager, right? And we, we go like, I don't want any of that. And Ahab's like, yeah, sure, Elijah. Yeah, you're, you're going to turn off the rain. Awesome. We'll wait on that, okay? But then what actually begins to happen is months and months and months go by, and, and it's not raining. And what God said through Elijah is true. Now, meanwhile, God says to Elijah, hey, buddy, like, you better go hide. You're, you're not a real popular dude anymore. Uh, they think you turned off the rain, so you need to hide, and I'm going to protect you. And that's what happens. If you read it in 1 Kings, Elijah runs away from Ahab to try to protect himself, and God takes care of him. Now, in the land where Ahab is, all right, man, famine's coming, cattle are dying, crops are dying, there's no provision, there's no rain. Okay, there's, there's a crisis going on, but God's taking care of Elijah. He's protecting him. And after three years of no rain, God comes to Elijah, and here's his message. He was like, hey, Elijah, cool. Hey, um, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and see King Ahab. And you can imagine Elijah's like, mm, hold on, God, just a second. Like, can we rethink that? Did you pray about that? All right. And, and God goes, no, no, no. Like, I want you to go back. And so sure enough, Elijah goes back, and he finds Ahab. And he surprises Ahab. As you can imagine, Ahab's not real thrilled with Elijah. Three years have gone by. The economy's a wreck. Things have begun to crash. And Elijah says to King Ahab, hey, King Ahab, God is teaching this nation a lesson. He's teaching you a lesson. And, and I don't know if you're ready to learn it, but God's ready to let the rain begin again. But there's kind of one caveat to that. And Ahab's like, I'm into this because the people are unhappy. The crops are dying. Like, we need food. Like, I'll take the rain however and Ahab agrees, what do we need to do to get the rain turned back on? And Elijah says, well, I want you to meet me up on Mount Carmel. And everybody knew where that was. And Elijah said, I want you to bring the prophets of Baal, like bring them out. All those who worship that God that's not really a God that I'm not into, I want you to bring them out on Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a little prayer meeting there on Mount Carmel. And I'm going to pray to Yahweh God. You guys can pray to Baal. We'll put two sacrifices on the altar and we'll see whose God can really send fire from heaven. You read that story before, right? If you've been to Sunday school at all, you probably heard that one. Maybe you had to like, you acted it out. You played the prophets of Baal. That's not the good role. You want the Elijah role. He's the hero. So that's what goes down. 400 prophets of Baal meet with Elijah on Mount Carmel. And then thousands of people from the city come to watch it as well. Can you imagine? It's kind of like when you're in middle school and you hear like there's going to be a fight after school, like on the playground and you go. Some of you act like, I never went. Yes, you did. You just want to see somebody punch somebody. You did, okay? Like, that's, that's what happened here. Like, it went viral. It's making headlines. Like, Elijah, one dude's about to take on 400 prophets of Baal, and everyone showed up to watch. And when they get up there, Elijah says, hey, you guys go ahead and build your, man, greatest altar over there. Uh, make your sacrifice. Start praying to Baal. And I'm going to take this, this old altar over here, and I'm going to rebuild it. It was an altar to Yahweh. It's not being used now, but I'm going to rebuild it. And I'm going to put a sacrifice on here, and I'm going to pray to Yahweh God. And if you know what happens, right? You read the story before. Prophets of Baal begin to pray. They build the altar, like, from morning to lunchtime. This shindig goes on a long time. Like, they're, they're hooping, they're hollering, they're shouting, they're cutting themselves, they're laying out sacrifices. They're doing just about everything that they can do. And Elijah, like, he was boss, okay? He just was. And he, he looks at the prophets of Baal, and he really makes the politically incorrect statement, and he starts sort of making fun of their God because nothing's happening. Like, there's no fire coming. And Elijah's like, maybe, maybe you should pray a little louder, right? Like, shout. Like, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he's out of town, okay? You didn't get the, like, out-of-office inbox notice. Like, he's out. Like, that's why maybe he's asleep 
If you shout louder, <laughs> just shout louder. Maybe he'll hear you then, okay? And Elijah, he's literally going like, I don't know why he's not answering, but like, is, is he really a god? Is he? And Elijah almost taunts the, the prophets of Baal, and then Elijah steps in. The prophets of Baal are tired. They're slashed. They're afraid. They're worn out. And Elijah goes, okay, now it's my turn. And before Elijah prays to Yahweh God, Elijah says, okay, here's the deal. Let's cover my altar, my sacrifice right here. We're going to cover it in water. Now, remember, it hadn't rained for three years, so they're like, ooh, not much water around, but they find enough, and Scripture says they drench it. The sacrifice is covered. The altar's covered. It's wet, all of that. And Elijah prays. And you remember what happened? <sighs> Boy, did God send the fire. And he burned up the sacrifice, and he burned up the altar, and all the people, like, who came to watch the, the fight on the playground after school, I mean, all those people, they were like, ooh, yeah, Bill, Bill's not the deal. And it's Yahweh God, and he's the one true living God. We, we, we will follow him. And they actually begin to kill the prophets of Baal for leading them falsely. And then Elijah, he kind of slides off to King Ahab. Remember that guy, that relationship? And he goes, hey, Ahab, you need to go back to the city because God's about to send the rain. And Ahab, this time, he's a little more perked up and listening. And he's like, yeah, you turned it off. You probably know the God who can turn it on. And he goes back to the city. And there's a really cool story in 1 Kings where Elijah goes up on the mountain. He's got a partner there. There's no cloud in the sky. But Elijah just said it was going to rain. And they pray. And guess what happens? God sends the rain because his promises are always true. And at that point, like, let's just kind of pause. We're about to dive into 1 Kings 19. At that point, like, Elijah's the dude, is he not? Like, he just literally prayed, and the rain turned off, okay? He's like a rock star. He's the man. Like, what is there to be afraid of? Everybody's talking about this Elijah guy because he hears from God. He follows God. But meanwhile, Ahab goes back home, and Ahab was married to a lady. Anybody know Ahab's wife's name? Uh-huh, some of you do. Jezebel, that's a name you don't name your daughter, okay? And Jezebel, like, she was... She's bad, like real, real bad, like wicked to the 10th power, like didn't do anything good whatsoever. And she hears about what's happening. And that's where our story begins. Okay. So all of that was introduction, deep breath. Okay, here we go. First Kings 19, pick up verse one. Now Ahab, King Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And you can imagine how excited she was. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, Jezebel's not happy and she says, tomorrow, Elijah, that's it for you. Like tomorrow, you're going to be just like all of the prophets that got killed earlier. And so from our perspective, let's think back, okay, I just gave you all that recap. From our perspective, looking back, we're kind of thinking like in that moment when Jezebel sends this message and like Elijah gets the text or the courier or whoever, however that message came, he had to be like, oh, come on over here, honey. <laughs> like, do you know my God just turned off the rain and then he could turn it back on. Like, did you see the fireworks? You hear about the fireworks show up there? The whole prophets of Baal thing? Like, Elijah has nothing to be afraid. He's just watched the hand, the miracle of God. He went one on 400 and one by landslide. Okay, and then God kills the enemy. Elijah's seen all of this. What is there to be worried or afraid about? No, there is, okay, 
Queen Jezebel, and she is the most powerful woman in the land. She influences the king's decisions, and she has lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and she has troops, and she has soldiers, and she has all of this power. But from our perspective, knowing all that Elijah just walked through, what does Elijah really have to be worried about? The answer is nothing. But here's what happens. Look at verse 3, 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. And be like, wait a minute, Elijah. Like, don't, don't you remember? Did you not just read the previous chapters, Elijah? He was afraid and he ran for his life. Or we could put it this way. Elijah, was, he, was, he was okay in the now, but it was all the next series of now moments. Like it was the tomorrow that Elijah was so worried and consumed about. And scripture says that he ran for his life. And here's where... I believe some of what Elijah's doing can kind of begin to connect to our life today in this war of worry is that if, if, if I were to kind of drop into your life, your last 20, 30, 40, 60, 70 years, and look at the past faithfulness of God in your life, I might be tempted to say to you kind of what we would want to say to Elijah, which is, like, what are you, what are you worried about? Do you not remember last week or two months ago? Or a decade ago, or like back when you were in junior high, or back when your parents divorced. Like, do you, do you not remember how God was with you in those moments? How he's been faithful to you? Like when you were fighting that addiction battle, and like you'd run from him, but he didn't run from you? Like, like do you not remember that? And I would ask you, like, what, what are you really worried about? But Elijah is totally focused on tomorrow. It is all about what's next. And Elijah totally blanks on God's faithfulness in his life. And Elijah takes off running. Verse 3, look at it again. It says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Now, Judah is the southern kingdom. So, like, Elijah ran out the country. Like, he was running, okay? And it's like 100 miles away. The story could literally say two weeks later, Elijah's in another country. Verse 4, pick it up. It says, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed, watch this, that he might die. Like, that's how overwhelmed with worry Elijah is. He says, like, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, I would just basically rather be dead right now. Verse 5, keep going. Then he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, there by his head was some, break, uh, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate it, and he drank it, and he laid down again. Verse 7, angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, hey, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. In other words, you're killing yourself, Elijah. Like, I'm with you, but you're killing yourself. You need nourishment for the journey, and God's providing it. Verse 8, so the angel says, get up and eat, or, or so he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, Elijah then traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, let's pause. This is a really significant moment and place in this story um, because this Mount Horeb was what we would refer to also as Mount Sinai. Now, you probably heard that as you've read the narrative of Scripture before. This is the same mountain where Moses saw the burning bush. Remember that? Take off your shoes. You're in his presence. God speaks to him. That mountain. This is the place where after the Israelites left Egypt, they went to this same mountain. This is the mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the law. God was present. Remember that? Horeb is where in the minds of the Jewish people, this is where God hung out. 
If you're not with the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God were, you want to be on Mount Horeb because that's where God was. So Elijah spends over a month traveling now into what's now a deserted, lonely, uninhabited place, and he goes there to die. But he just wants to be as close to God as possible. And none of this makes sense probably fully to Elijah, but he was doing it because he was so overwhelmed about tomorrow. He was so worried and concerned. And then verse 9 picks up. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. He was worn out. And the word of the Lord came to him. And God says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what are, what are, you, what are you doing here? What are, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here in, in this place? What are you doing here, Elijah? And God says, you're miles and miles away, Elijah, from where I had you. You're miles and miles away from where my presence was with you and I was using you and you were being a powerful vessel for me. You're miles and miles away from where I left you. What are you doing here in this place? We'll finish the story in just a second, but I want to stop and pause on that question. Because I have a feeling that there are some of us in this room today in our online gathering today, and like you, you've been so stressed out, so worried, so overwhelmed with whatever it is, the kid thing, the marriage thing, the parent thing, the job thing, the health thing, the family thing, whatever that is, and perhaps a lot like Elijah, like you've, you've kind of done some running yourself. And some of you, like you've run mentally, and you basically sort of just checked out on your family because you've been so overwhelmed with whatever your thing is. Or some of you, like, you've, you've run physically. You've run from parents, or you've run from a marriage, or you've run from a relationship. And just, like, checked out emotionally and physically. Like, you've backed away from your kids because this deal that's going on with them, or it's something else not related to them, but it's taking you out. Like, physically you're present, but emotionally, mentally, like, you're, you're not there. Or maybe for you, you've, you've run away by drinking a little bit too much or trying to find something to numb the pain or calm the worry, and it's just like a little more and a little more and a little more and then a lot more and a lot more. Or maybe you're, you're in a place like you've never been before emotionally, or you're crushed in a way, you're in a place you've never been relationally or physically, and it's all because of the stress, the anxiety, and the worry, and the fear of tomorrow, and you're in a place today that you have no business being. What if, what if, what if God showed up in that place where you are, where you have no business being, whether that's a physical location, an emotional location, a, a, a mental location, and God says to you, but just hold on, like, wait a minute. What are you, what are you doing here? Why, why did you run? What, what, what has led you to be in this? But why have you allowed the threat of tomorrow? And by the way, tomorrow's always a little bit threatening. Why, why have you allowed the uncertainty of what's next? And you, you've always been uncertain about it. You've never had control over that. Why, why have, you, have you trusted in the threat of an employer or the economy or the government or your kids or the spouse or the relationship or what the culture says? Like, why have you listened to that so deeply? And, and it's led you to hear, what are you, what are you doing here? Because this is not where I've led you. And I think God maybe looks into your life today and he says, like knowing who I've been for you and who I am in you, like it really doesn't make sense that you're here. 
And then here's what happens next. Just two words is all I want us to see to start verse 10. 1 Kings 19, verse 10. He, Elijah, he replied to God. God asked the question, what are you doing here? And Elijah starts replying. Now, here's, here's the thing. Elijah's so cool. He's just like you and me, just broken, jacked up dude. Because here's what Elijah does. He does just like you and I do. He starts presenting God his sad story, right? He's like, oh, well, God, uh, don't you know about, or you ever done that before? Well, God, but then there was this thing. Well, but then God, my kids, okay? But then God, the, the economy and the government, and I don't know if you heard about what happened. And like, yeah, like okay, and I'm sure God's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we do that, don't we? As if God doesn't know, and God knows, but sometimes it's just like, I just got to get it off my chest, God. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if you're fully aware of all these different things, so we're going to pray about these things today because these are things I'm concerned about. And Elijah lays it all out, and, and here's what happens. Verse 10, keep following. He replied, and watch this. Elijah, he's so good. He's a good church dude, okay? He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Like, God, I've been with you. I've been going to church. I've been following you. But the Israelites, oh God, the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. And God, I don't know if you know, but like I'm the only one left. It's just me. And now guess what? Now they're trying to kill me too. I don't know if, you, I don't know if that word got back to you, God, but like I'm, I'm on the run right now. In other words, God, what, you asked, what am I doing here? Like where else am I going to be? You want me to go back to Jerusalem? You want me to go back and hang out with Ahab? That's not going to go well. Jezebel's there. Like, do, do you expect me to go there under the threat of death? God, do you even know what's going on with me? And then the Lord says something, like, totally irrelevant. Because remember, Elijah's in a cave. He was tired. He went there to sleep. And here's what God says back to Elijah, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And we don't know exactly what went through Elijah's head, but perhaps it was something like this. Like, say what, God? Like, what, what is that going to do for me? Like, maybe you're not aware that, like, I'm on the, like, how's that going to make a difference? Let me, let me remind you something, God. Nobody thinks you're real but me. Nobody's listening to you but me. Like, I'm the only one left, and now they want me dead, and you want me to go just stand out at the mouth of the cave. Really? Is that your instruction to me, God? I'm better off dead, and you want me to go to the mouth of the cave, and then God responds because he's really good and gracious, and here's what happens. Verse 11, 1 Kings 19, pick it up. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine this? Like Elijah's in this cave, spent the night, wakes up next day, like, boom, just like the whole mountain got rearranged. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And here's what I think. God's just showing off now. He's like, Elijah, you want to know what I can do? Let me just show you just a few things real quick. And here's what happens. Don't miss. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And now he's listening. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, here's the question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I think God says to Elijah, Elijah, if there's not me, I understand what you're doing here. Your story checks out. But there's me. Amen. Yahweh. God. Did you, Elijah, did you, did you catch the fireworks show back on Mount Carmel? You remember that? Did you, did you see the wind, how it kind of rearranged the mountains a moment ago? Did you catch the earthquake and the fire? And in that moment, God's leaning in and he's saying, Elijah, listen to me. You're looking through the lens of circumstance. 
and only what you can see, and there is no hope, and there is no purpose in that. And if there was no me, there would be no purpose and there would be no hope, but there's me. So what in the world, again, are you doing here? And Elijah, again, he's so human, he starts his spill again to God. Like, you, you ever gone back to your parents, like, the second time, and, like, you got the script of what you're going to say? It's like, God, I'm sorry. Well, I was out with her, and I know I shouldn't have been with her. And I know you're, like, you're going back to your parents and kind of recovered for yourself or not so much. First Kings 19, 14, here it is, Elijah. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. God, you see me, see me, see me. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. And, God, I'm the only good one left. I'm the only one trying to follow you, and now they're trying to kill me too. And I think as Elijah, he's like rehearsing this story back to God about the rocks and the earthquake and the fire, and he starts to think about those things, and he's thinking about the 400 prophets of Baal and the fact that like they're not anymore at all, and he's thinking about the wind and what God just did with the mountain and the earthquake and the fire, and it begins to register that his story, his perspective, it doesn't, doesn't have a really good leg to stand on. And Elijah realizes his excuses aren't that good because God is still God and he is still present. And there's him. In verse 15, 1 Kings 19 says this, The Lord said to him, Elijah, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Now, that's significant because Aram already had a king. Like, this is what God says to Elijah. Stay with me. He says, I want you to go to this foreign land. I want you to find this random guy, and then I want you to anoint him as king. And Elijah's going like, God, they, like, they already have a king, so, you, so you're changing kings. And God goes, uh-huh. And then verse 16, also anoint Jehu, son of Nemeshi, king over Israel. Paul's there. Elijah's thinking, like, time out, new king for Israel? Like, God, they, they got a king. Maybe, maybe you forgot. Like, remember the Ahab dude? Like, we've had some run-ins with him. And then there's Jezebel. God, there is a king over Israel, and they're trying to kill me. And God goes, I know. We're going to replace the king. I got, I got a new one that's coming. And then this was, like, really out of left field for Elijah. Verse 16, also anoint Jehu, son of Nemeshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. And Elijah's going, hold on, God. I was your dude, right? I'm the only one left. Remember you got me? And God says, I know, but we're getting a new one. And I just think as Elijah's listening to this, something has to begin to register. And he goes like, like God, you, you tell me you, you've thought this through? Yeah. Like you, 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 you had a plan the whole time? Yeah. The whole, the whole, like, God, when I gave you the, the sad story and then I gave it to you again the second time with more passion and more, like, you, you already knew all that? Knew all of it, Elijah. God, God you, t you, t you tell me you had a purpose in, in all of this? Yeah. And Elijah's like, God, I didn't, I didn't have any idea. And God goes, I know. That's why you ran. And that's why I ask you, what are you doing here? Because I haven't abandoned you. And I have not neglected you, and I've not changed, and I'm not giving up on you, and I'm still God. So what are you doing here? And then verse 17 and 18 kind of just present a whole new thought for Elijah. 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. God's saying this. I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, they're not sold out to him. They haven't followed him. And God says, Elijah, you think you're the only one left, but you're not. You, you thought you knew all of this. You thought you had the whole plan and you'd figured it out and you was the only one, you was running for your life, and you was wrong. You did not know it all. So what in the world are you doing here, Elijah? Now stay with me, church. Here's the point. For some of you, perhaps many of you, you've allowed your worry to drive you into behaviors, habits, an emotional frenzy, you've allowed it to drive a wedge through relationships in your household, at your workplace, to cause you to do stupid financial things, to, to go to places and think things and do things that you've never thought before. And I think God's question for you and for me today is, what are you doing there? What are you, what are you doing there? Now, if there was no God, I get it. Makes sense. Your story checks out. But there's me. There's me. And for so many of us, let's be real, like we're sitting in a church context and what our culture would call the Bible Belt, okay? For so many, like we, man, we're into the Jesus thing, right? Like we, we, he's been a pretty significant part for a lot of us for a long time. And most of us are down with like saying, like, he was the Son of God sent to be Savior of the world to rescue us from sins. Like we've been preaching that message. We, we, we could tell you all the scriptures. We could point you to it. Like, we've been around the block. We've seen God's present and past faithfulness in our life over and over. We've watched it because we've been around so long. We've watched him watch us walk us through the bad things, and then he flips it, and he shows us his purpose in it. We're like, oh, yeah, I saw you now. I doubted you in a moment, but I, I've watched you do it, God, over and over and over, and then we've given testimonies from it. You've been in church long enough? You've testified up in your Sunday school class, right? You, you've told the story. You've sent the text to the friend. He's real. You've teared up. You've gotten emotional. Maybe even you got baptized. And most of us have enough history with God that the truth is there's really no excuses for us to be where we've allowed worry to take us to be. Because he's still God. And he's still present. And he's still in control. Maybe today what God's saying to you is you kind of need to take Elijah's or God's advice to Elijah, and you need to go back to where you came from, where God is certain in your today and in your tomorrow. Because watch this, isn't it crazy, isn't it amazing how today's worries can erase God's past faithfulness in our life? Like the, ooh, the moment that worry comes in, it's like we just totally blank out on anything God has done for us before in our past. And the worries of today make us doubt whether God will be there in our tomorrow. And I'm telling you today, and Elijah would tell you today, he will be. And that's why the point of this whole series is really simple. We're to do what we know to do today and trust God with tomorrow. That's it. We're to do what we know to obediently, faithfully, in surrender, do today, and then trust them with tomorrow. And when your mind begins to go down that trail of worry, and it probably will, at that point you go, no, 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 no. 
God, I've done all I know to faithfully and obediently do today. Let me look around. Let me check my Bible. Let me check. Yep, I've done everything I can do today. So, God, I'll see you in my tomorrow. God, I'm going to rest tonight because I know you're already waiting in tomorrow. There's no certainty in tomorrow. Never has been a certainty, actually, in my tomorrow, but you've always been in tomorrow. I'm just letting you know right now I'm shifting my devotion. I'm trusting you. There's a transfer of trust, and it's not my agenda, not my kingdom anymore, but you go first. And you're already in tomorrow, and you've got a plan for it. Or you could go with the other option, and you could just worry. All right, well, I need to worry because it helps me worry. And you could give a lot of your time and energy and attention and mental capacity to trying to control things that you have no control over. And Jesus loves you so much that he steps in in Matthew 6 and over these three weeks, and he says, Stop it. Don't do that. Because you have a heavenly father who invites you to call him daddy. And he's got tomorrow. He's got it. Listen, as we land today, some of you, if you were honest, stay with me. Some of you, you've gone to some places that you never should have gone, that you had no business going because of the worry and the angst and the anxiety and all that it did to you in your mind because of the uncertainty tomorrow. And God's command to you, stay with me, your com- God's command to you is you need to go back to where you came from. And this is where it gets practical and applicable for some of you. For some of you, you need to, you need to take some steps. You need to have a conversation. Like there may need to be some households this week where, where dad steps up and says, hey guys, spouse, family, kids, Dad's kind of been a jerk over the last season because dad's been so preoccupied with tomorrow. We're trying to control all those things and I could control and I know I've been short-tempered and I've snapped at you and I've just not been the leader over our marriage and our household that I should have been. Some of you need to call your parents. You need to apologize for being short and snappy with them about the way you've spoken to them or the way you've handled them over the last season. Listen, I know you've got a great story because you're like, well, this is my job or this relationship. And listen, your story's great and it checks out if there's no God. But there's him. And he says, you can trust me and I got tomorrow and I got today. And if that's the case, then we need to begin to trust him with it. Maybe for some of you, listen, over the last year, there's been a lot of uncertainty over the last year. And for some of you, maybe you've developed a habit, a dependency, And you need to get help for it. Like you need to take an action step. You need to get real. You need to ask somebody for help. Or maybe you've destroyed a relationship and you need to go back. You see, God's invitation for you today, for me today, as we battle this war of worry is, he says, I invite you to go back. To go back to where I'm in control of your today and your tomorrow. And here's my prayer for you, for me, for our church in this moment in time, okay? Where, listen, there's so much uncertainty in our world, in our nation, in our lives, more perhaps than ever before. That's what the narrative is. Listen to me. This is the moment where we have a chance to respond differently. Not because our circumstances are different, but because we know who holds tomorrow. And we're going to do all that we can do today with what we have, and we're going to trust him with tomorrow. And when you do, there's no reason to worry. Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc, or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.